Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
6 o'clock, so that's going to be between the meal and the inquiry. So if you're interested, please come to that meeting so we can kind of give you some more information about that and what we plan to do and some of the fundraising events. Our first fundraiser is going to be the Freezer Bills that Sigi and his colleagues are going to help us with. We're going to have dressing, chicken and dressing, sweet potatoes, cheese rolls, and cinnamon rolls with ice. So if you would like to sign up for any of that, Deshay and Sarah will be in the Soul Fellowship Hall after church if you would like to order any of those and help us go to town. You can also sign up on Facebook. I think Kelly Haley put a post on the church Facebook page, and you can sign up there if there's anything you would like to order. Cash or check made to the church, and just put in the memo for this preacher bill so we'll know about the events. Thank you.
to be one of his favorite throughout the senior year. Just to think about missing out there on play and what we can for each other. And we've got the five hundred days to stay here. We're glad to see you here. So as I mentioned this week, uh, play for the state of today. We'll be curious what Mr. Singh got to speak over the day as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. 
So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to Of participation this morning. Can we all say the word Shema? Shema. Have you heard that word before? Some people pronounce it Shema. But Shema comes from that Jesus was asked one time, you can read this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He was asked, What's the greatest command? And he responded, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and all thy strength. Notice that the very first word he said that was here, as the pastor was just saying, Lord, that we would have ears to hear. And Jesus was quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And the word Shema means hear or listen. So it takes on a whole new context, doesn't it? Sometimes, especially in marriage, we say, well, you're not listening, you're not hearing me, right? And we have sometimes men are accused of having selective recall. And I think that's true and universal with humanity, that sometimes we have selective recall, but more importantly, there's times where we 
So it's very, very profound. Jesus, in fact, throughout his ministry, he would preface some great saying when he was speaking, whether it was the Beatitude or some other parable, he would preface by saying, He who has ears to hear, let it hear. Other times he would conclude the matter, he would say, He who has ears to hear, let it hear. In fact, speaking through John in Revelation, he would address the different churches, seven churches. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and he would say to each one, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, unless we hear what the Lord would say to us, there essentially is no value in it, at least not to you on an individual basis, or as a bigger picture, a community, a family, a community, a nation. And I think by and large, America, we are not hearing. Real well, what the Lord would say to us today. If it weren't for the Gideons, I would probably be in hell tonight. I was in a motel room boozing up and using dope. When I looked across the room, I saw Gideon Bible lying on a table. Just seeing it there did something to me. I guess it showed me that what I was doing was wrong. I walked across the room, picked up the Bible, and began to thumb through the helps, the, the passages that were suggested. In the front. Before I knew what was happening, I was on my knees at the foot of the bed, crying out to God for mercy. He heard me and he saved me. Jesus Christ delivered me from alcohol and drugs. I had been abusing. I haven't been the same since that night. Signed, Donnie Dallas. The word that really jumps out at me, the Lord used his word to set this young man free. The word he used was, he delivered me. When I first read this testimony, see, as Gideons, we receive testimonies from around the world, not just in America. Many of you know, because you've seen the Bible in the hotel and the motel, my wife and I, we raised now eight children and multiple grandchildren. And when we would travel, it was the custom that as soon as I went out the door, the kids would race ahead to the nightstand, and they would try to be the first one to find the Bible that had been placed there by the Gideons. You see, in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And think of the significance of those words. The lamp unto my feet, it reveals my present state. This is true both for sinner and for saint. And then it goes on to say, A lamp unto my feet and then a light unto my path. Again, what is that light? The light is shining ahead of you. It's revealing that should you continue on the path you are now, this is what your future holds. This is where it leads. So God's word is useful, again, for sinner and saint, to reveal unto us, how am I doing right now, and what does the future hold if I continue on this course? And so this word is important for both the future as well as right now the here and now. Again, the word that this young man used was delivered. And the passage that came to mind, very powerful, found in Luke chapter 4. I'd like to read a few verses to you today. I believe, you know how you'd say, if I could have been a fly on the wall? Well, if I could have been somewhere in the history of time, this would have been probably my first choice of where I would like to have been in the presence of these people who 
Christ spoke these words. Now, the setting is Jesus had just been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Interesting study as a side note for some of you uh, a class of school teaching and so on that you would consider doing a study on three areas of lust. And there are parts called the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's a, a, a theme found primarily in First John, a very important theme. Well, Jesus was tempted in those three areas. Again, reading Luke chapter 4. He overcame Satan in all three areas by saying, it is written. In other words, he was saying, on the authority and the power of God's holy word. He didn't resort to psychology. He didn't resort to sociology. He did not even say that he relied on some political party. Not relying on overthrowing a form of government. It's not found in a social revolution. No, Jesus was saying, on the authority of God's word, Satan, depart. Get the communion. And there's a lesson for us there as well. So it says that Jesus was turned in the power of the Spirit. And it's, I read this starting in verse 14. That Jesus returned and the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book. Notice the definitive article here, the grammar. He wasn't handed a book. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I'll just pause there for a moment. So the attendant handed Christ the book. This was the prophetic book of Isaiah. Now Isaiah, which is called one of the major prophets, and remember he referred to the minor prophets, they're all significant, all scripture inspired by God. But notice that it was actually preordained that on that day this exact passage would be written. Jesus happened to be in this synagogue in Jerusalem on that exact day where they had already determined that this is the passage that someone is to read. So this attendant has Jesus, this passage that was preordained that he would read, and here's what was written. Again, the prophetic books were written roughly 700 years before Jesus became flesh. Very significant. That's why it's called, one of the reasons why it's called prophecy, because it was speaking of the things that were not, that were yet to come. And he opened the book where it was written, and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are wounds, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Again, these were the words that had been written 700 years before he ever became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that wasn't all. There was more coming. It says, and he closed the book, 
and he gave it to the minister. And he sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. You see, they knew that he had something else to say. But here's what he said. He said unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled. Remember, we said earlier, Shabbat, he who has ears to hear, he was saying, I'm the one. I'm the one that your parents told you about. I'm the one that your grandparents told you about. I'm the one that generation after generation of your forefathers were telling you about. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Jesus, when he said, This has been fulfilled in your hearing, this was a magnificent day. Because the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies again that he had written hundreds of years before the Lord became flesh. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. In fact, that refers all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became this is Jesus, the physical form of Jesus. The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. That means he dwelt in this world. And we beheld, and we saw him. We beheld his glory as that of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus was the physical manifestation, the physical presence. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him. In fact, my wife wrote a song called The Hem. And the woman said, If I but touch the hem of this garment, I shall be healed. This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now notice, again, referring to this young man, Don Dennis, says to preach deliverance to the captives. This is why Jesus came. To give us sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to deliver the oppressed, those that are captives, to set them free. I go to the Haywood County Jail just the other night I was there, and I was explaining to these men something that they had never heard before that Jesus Christ, it was never God's design for one man to be enslaved to another man. So that was man's design, that was Satan's design. Jesus wants men to be free. In fact, he said these words. He went on to say later on, we read in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now think of all the, the men that are coming down. Think of the, the different global leaders, some good and some not so good. What do they all have in common? They all espouse their particular version of what they call truth. But their version of truth so often it did not result in anyone being set free, delivered, or liberated. It enslaved them. We think of Mussolini. We think that even before time. Darwin, Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, Adolf Hitler. More recently, we think of Pol Pot, the killing fields. Cambodia, and so on. Idi Amin, Uganda. They all espouse their version of what they call 
their version of truth and nothing more than stealing from his wife. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, The thief, meaning Satan, he cometh not but to the three things. You all know what they are? He said, The thief cometh not but to, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. He went on to say, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, here recently, just a little while ago, we happened to be in Memphis. My wife and I were driving down the road on the South German Town Road. We all know where it's at. It's four lanes. There's median sections. And we saw a young lady standing there holding up a sign. You see, your band members, I guess we can call them. And it kind of shocked us because she reminded us of a previous time she presented to me. And either way, we, we felt led to turn the car on. We did a U turn on Park Over by the side of the road. And we always keep the, the little testaments in our car, as you see here. And uh, my wife grabbed the testament and she managed to go through all the uh, busy traffic and make it way through the median. And she's talking to this girl. And they were just carrying on conversation this girl. After a while, my wife, she, she said, Say, you need to come over here. And I, I went over, left the car, put on the flashes, and we went over and we ministered to Christina. And she introduced me, told the sad tale. And just the, what had led to this place in her life. And we were able to show her in the Word of God with these words that I just shared with you in John chapter 10. See, whenever we see stealing, killing, and destroying, we need to be careful because we, the archaeology has been ruined in the Church of Jesus Christ, primarily in the West of America. We keep telling people that God is in control. Everything that happens, that God controls that. Well, guess what? The Bible doesn't teach that. You can find that in the Quran, but you can't find that in the Bible. When we see stealing and killing and destroying, are we saying that God is the author of that? Now, Satan is the author. Stealing, killing, and destroying. Let's be more specific. When you hear about abortion, really, God is in control of abortion? Children being molested? God is in control of that too? Rape and divorce and all the things that go on in the world? No, the scripture says if it's stealing, killing, and destroying, Jesus is not doing that. He didn't authorize that. He's not in that. Satan is the one who steals, kills, and destroys. Christina just started crying. And I said, honey, this is not does not agree with you that I was trying to do that. Jesus wants you to have life and have it abundantly. You see, truth should set people free. The words that we speak should liberate them and not enslave them. Communism enslaved them. If they promised them liberty, Paul talked about it. If they promised them liberty, but indeed it winds up enslaving men. In the 60s when I was growing up, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They promised me liberty too. But what, it, what does he do? It just enslaves them. We have addiction, they say, is worse now than in American history. Have you seen now where they're coloring them, making the drugs look like candy? Because he's giving them to little five, six, seven-year-old kids. See, Jesus is not in that. We need to repent of some really, really bad theology. Jesus wants men to 
not true. Not the truth. Not true. It said you free. I know you're Baptist, but there's only amen in the crowd. Okay. Tom Moore testifies. This is a testimony that was sent in to International Headquarters right here in Nashville. While stationed at Camp Virginia, North Carolina, four buddies and I headed out to celebrate a three-day liberty. We had checked into a motel on the outskirts of Jacksonville and planned on going out that night, hitting all the bars. We were going to sow our wild oats and prove that we were young and insolent enough, real Marines. After changing into my civilian clothes, I relaxed on the bed and waited for my four buddies to let me know they were ready for a night out in town. As we sat there, I picked up the Gideon Bible on the nightstand beside my bed. I opened up that wonderful Bible and began to read Luke chapter 15, 11 to 32, the story of the prodigal son. I realized how this story in the Bible fit my life to a T. When I finished that story, I went back to the first books of the New Testament and ran, read about both the birth and the life of Jesus. I read the Bible verses that I remembered as a child, including John 3.16. When I finally heard a knock on the door, assuming it was my Marine buddies, I knew that I must make a decision. I must make a decision. Either to stay in the hotel room and continue reading that Bible, or to join my four friends and comrades in the night of drinking. I decided to stay. And I continued to read the Bible, and that night I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was still reading the Gideon Bible hours later when there was another knock on my door. Two North Carolina State Highway Troopers stood there in the early morning dark, asking me if I knew these young men. And they repeated the names of my four friends. I said I did know them and asked the troopers why they were asking about my buddies. The state trooper then told me that they had been involved in a car accident, and then he said, The only thing I remember doing after that was taking the Bible to the hotel room. I was still in shock and disbelief when I walked into a little country Baptist church that Sunday and turned my life over to Christ. I struggled with old addictions after that for some time, but God cleaned me up, and eventually I became a good pastor. Amen? The Apostle Paul wrote that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a good creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Again, notice in the Word of God, frequently you read about a definite article. All old things pass away, and how many things become new? All things become new. Amen. That's the hope of the gospel. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, we live in a time where people say, sometimes we say, well, you know, it's all relative. Have you heard that expression before? Well, we attribute the theory of relativity to a man named Albert Einstein. Within his lifetime, people start to use that expression. Well, you know, it's all relative. In a conversation, when someone's talking about politics, there's something going on in the world, people will say, well, you know, it's all relative. Well, guess what? He was offended. 
he said, this was a public statement he made, relativity is only true as it pertains to time, space, and matter. It has nothing whatsoever to do with ethics and morals. Do you understand what he was saying? That there is a way that a man, a woman, a child, that we can order our lives. There is something called truth, and that truth should set us free. Amen? If you were to go into any university today, but I've traveled the world, I've, I've been in Philippines, and Japan, and Europe, and so on, and South America, and I've talked to professors in this area. If you were to sit in a class, a philosophy class, there are many questions that are posed, but rarely are we given a definitive answer. And two of the questions that are posed in philosophy are, one, what is the meaning of life? And second, one of the most common ones, what is truth? That there was a man when Jesus was about to go to the cross that posed that same exact question. And Jesus shows up on the scene 2,000 years ago, and he offers an answer for both questions and one to do. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, notice that that hit an article. He didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And so, are you glad that there is a definitive way? See, the Bible concludes in the book of Judges, if you would read it, it says, And every man did what was right. Even back then, they were embracing the notion of relativity. Everyone kind of saying, well, you know what? We're not supposed to judge. And the scripture doesn't teach that. Study it out and you'll see what I mean. The Bible teaches that we are to judge righteous judgment and we will have discernment. And when people stop saying that there is right and there is wrong, now you have nothing more than a situation of war. 7.3 billion people. Everyone with an opinion, and they're all on Facebook all the time. And we get confused, and we don't even understand what's right or wrong. And we wind up participating in it, no longer decrying evil. In fact, we wind up participating in them. In fact, that's the last verse in Romans chapter 1. Men doing those things that were wrong and encouraging others likewise. See, and that's why we have the right of God's word. Because again, it reveals where I have to go from here. And if I continue on this path, where does that take me? And the world reveals for me. Philip Nabal was a man that lived in Manila, Philippines, but that still does. This is the testimony from a few years ago. And he wrote in, and he wrote in to us, and he said, one day, I was so sick, he had a serious kidney disease, and he long he lost all of his wealth at the casinos. He wrecked his entire life, and he was physically so sick that he wanted to die. In fact, he went into his bathroom to take, he was just going to take a whole bunch of his medications, take them all, because he was going to commit suicide. He went into his bathroom, he 
open the medicine cabinet. And there, in between all those vials of drugs, was a testament just like this in the Tadalic language. And he, he said, I don't even know how it got there. He took that testament and he fell on the knees in the bathroom and cried out to God for mercy. And he rose and he said, Right there on the spot, Jesus Christ forgave him and he healed him. He was actually physically healed and he cried out to the Lord Jesus for mercy. And today, this man is a Christian and he's a Gideon serving in the Philippines. Amen? You see, that in the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus still saves, he still delivers. Still be siphoned of life, and yes, Jesus heals. And we'll be praying for you, Pastor Chris, probably in the next day. He's got a serious condition. Jesus Christ, the same. He said he came to preach gospel to the poor, to heal, to bring deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So just encourage you today, should you decide to support this ministry, this little testament that Philip and Mark found in his medicine cabinet will cost a dollar thirty to place a testament just like this one. Brother Steve and fellow Gideon in the back, he said just this last week, they gave 200 of these testaments to your pit, your pit graves, right here in town. I live in Brownsville. We did our own pit graves here about two weeks ago. Full-size bottles that you see in hotels, motels, and nursing homes, those bottles would cost five dollars to place a Bible just like that one. That this man Bobby Bass, that was using the drugs and alcohol that he found at the clinic, would cost five dollars to print and distribute Bible like that. Should you decide to support this ministry, if you want to make out a check, you can make it out to First Baptist. So basically, fifty dollars would place ten full-size Bibles. A hundred thirty dollars would place a hundred testaments that this little one would fill up the mark. So just encourage you today to consider what the Lord would have you to make out your checks to first Baptist and give in the name of Jesus. In closing, eleven years ago, last January, I was blessed. I got to go on what turned out to be the biggest Bible distribution. Not just for the Gideons, but in the history of the world. We gave out 1.62 million Bibles, not just in Manila, but the northern part of Luzon, the northern and the highland part of Luzon in the Philippines. And nearing the end of the first week, I happened to be on the upper terrace of one of the larger schools, and I was getting ready to join a bunch of other Gideons as we were to go to our next assignment. And I had now a partial empty box of Bibles on my shoulder. As I was getting ready to climb down the terrace, a tiny little lady, who I found out later her name was Mrs. Garcia, she grabbed me by the arm and she literally just little five foot three and swung me around, grabbed me by the arm, and she looked at me and she said, Sir, I have something very important to tell you. In fact, she asked me this question that I posed to you earlier. Will you hear me? And the look in her eye, the intensity, I said, Yes, 
what it means to be a friend of God. She said, before the body and the coffin, but before they closed the coffin, I put a Bible on her chest and folded her hands over the Bible. They then closed the coffin with a word of God. And she paused, and I knew there was more she said, five years ago, we had to exhume the body. She didn't explain why. We had to exhume the body. They took the casket out of the ground. They opened the lid. They looked in and looked at that. Always. Nothing but always. And she wanted to say that. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.